This is the final chapter of our Acts series. This is the last section. And uh, if you're a visitor, you don't have a Bible, good news. We have uh, brand new Bibles in the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 882. Uh, We'd love for you guys to turn there with us as we journey through this last part of the text. And once again, can't say it enough, welcome. We're glad that you guys are here. Uh, There's some people I haven't seen in a long time. It's good to see you back here. Uh, And also the anonymous people uh, online. Uh, It's good to have you again. Um, But please, uh, as we uh, turn, uh, as we regularly do, turn to this passage, uh, I, I want you guys to have an assignment. This is somewhat long for some of you. <laughs> and so uh, to keep your attention, I want you to make sure you're paying careful attention to something very specific. Okay, so uh, this is what you're looking for. As we read, pay careful attention to how Luke, because Luke is writing Acts, this is part two, I want you to pay attention to how Luke ends this Acts narrative. And now he has a unique focus on Jesus Christ. So, without further ado, please follow along with me. Starting in Acts 28, beginning in verse 17. Luke writes, After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or, has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst, among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through, the, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I will heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two years, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. 
Amen. Please join with me in prayer once again. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you this morning confessing that it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can stand before you today. We thank you for passages like the psalm that we just read, as Wayne said, that reminds us of our great need for you, great need for your steadfast love, and a great need to be saved by you. We pray for our neighbors, both locally and globally, who find it difficult to rejoice in the Lord. We pray for those who are still affected by the massive earthquake that shook Turkey, western Syria, just a few weeks ago. We pray that you give comfort and peace to the tens of thousands of families who have lost loved ones, as well as those who are still missing in the earthquake zone. Lord, give us as a church to know how to respond as well as other believers from around the world, to know how to bring them aid, to show them the love of Christ. Lord, we pray for frontline workers and local churches as they minister to them and share the gospel with them. We also pray for those who have not yet placed their trust in you, for those who have not yet heard of the peace that only Christ can bring. And as we often do here, we pray for our children here this morning that you have blessed us with. We pray that they would come to know Jesus at a young age and that you would spare them from seasons of rebellion. Please grow in them a desire to know you. And we pray for all those who are serving all over campus this morning, whether downstairs or upstairs or in the back. Bring them fresh joy as they serve this morning. For the hurting and the weak, may your peace and your strength abound. For those with sickness, those in the battle of recovery, we, we pray that they find comfort that only comes from knowing you. We pray for all the family members and medical staff who are caring for loved ones. May you be their sense uh, of peace, their source of rest, and their strength. Guide them in times of frustration, in times of feeling defeat. Bring them fresh joy today, strength that comes from you. We pray for the, the middle school students that, that join us from week to week, maybe even some that we haven't seen for a few weeks. May you carry them through the struggles that they face day to day. Continually draw them to know your grace in Jesus Christ. We pray for all those who are married, those with young families, especially those who are struggling in their marriages. May you grant them wisdom. Continue to reveal them their sin. Guide them in your grace and restore their joy. For all other students, our young singles, college students, may you sustain them and be with them as they are far away from their families this semester. And Lord, during stressful times, Help them to delight in knowing and feeling your nearness. Lord, for those who are new and visiting with us here, we pray that you guide them to experience the immeasurable joy of salvation this morning. And we pray that you guide us as we study your word. 
Give us a fresh hunger for your word this morning and reignite our passion to share the gospel with the lost. We pray these things in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If this is your first time joining us, uh, we, we've been journeying through the book of Acts in a series entitled Becoming His Church. And we started this series a little over a year ago, and we have journeyed together chapter by chapter, verse by verse, witnessing Luke's record of the birth and development of the church. And although this is the final sermon of this series, we will continue to press forward toward our goal together. We never finish trying to attain this goal. Our goal in this series, again, is to become His church. How do we do that? It's through the study of His Word, the power of His Holy Spirit, to not only understand His love, but to show His love to each other and to this lost and dying world who needs to know Him. And so for the greater part of a year, we have witnessed how God transforms many people. One of these people which is kind of near the ending of Acts, we, we, we've seen God's transformation in this guy named Paul, once known as Saul, a terrorist, as one pastor said, a terrorist who has become an evangelist. We witnessed how churches were established, leaders were trained, missionaries were sent, false teachers were confronted, persecutions were endured, and how churches were strengthened. And because of Paul's bold witness, he earned himself many enemies, leading to his arrest and Roman imprisonments. But by God's grace, Paul endured three Roman hearings, forcing him to finally appeal before the emperor. By God's grace, by God's providence, Paul endured a violent sea voyage and shipwreck, which led him to great ministry opportunities all along the way to Rome. And here, finally, in chapter 28, he finally reaches Rome proper. And we see that Paul is doing what we constantly find him doing throughout the book of Acts, that despite his change, uh, chains, despite terrible circumstances, the Acts narrative ends with Paul ceaselessly sharing the gospel. He couldn't stop Paul. You always find him sharing the gospel. Luke ends this narrative in a very interesting way. In one sense, it serves as a conclusion to early church history because it records the both the, the geographic and ethnic expansion of the church. See, geographically, the church grew from its humble beginnings in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and it grows to Judea, to Samaria and now to areas of Rome. But ethnically, the church grew from an exclusively Jewish group to starting to embrace the Samaritans and then the people from every nation. Luke also ends this narrative in such a way that reminds readers that the story continues today. What story is this? It's the gospel. It's the overarching story of God's plan of redemption. So the title of today's sermon, again, is 
Continue the mission together. We all have a role in it. Continue the mission together. And again, we'll be in Acts chapter 28, verses 17 to the end in verse 31. Let me talk about my hope again this morning. For those of you who are not a Christian, we're glad that you are here this morning. I have a hope for you. My hope for you, if you're not a Christian, is always twofold. First, I hope that by the end of our time here together, that you will have a greater understanding of why Christians talk a lot about Jesus. Secondly, my hope is that you will follow Jesus yourself, and that you yourself will know him as your personal Lord and Savior today. Christians, I turn to you now. My hope for you is that you will not only witness Paul's great example of sharing the gospel, but again, that you yourself would examine your gospel-sharing practices. For this, I want to highlight three ways Paul's example instructs believers to continue the mission together. So firstly, if you're filling in the blanks and you have notes with you, uh, this will be your first blank. Firstly, Paul's example instructs believers to prioritize, that's that blank, to prioritize every opportunity, every opportunity to make Christ known. We see this in verses 17 through 23. See, many Christians, and if you're not a believer, you'll probably agree with this point, many Christians miss opportunities to make Christ known. Many Christians miss opportunities to make Christ known. For some, it's unintentional. They go about their day running from task to task, coming from a a parent of young kids, uh, dropping off kids from one practice to another lesson, running late from meeting to meeting to the next meeting, only to get back to your pillow in bed. Sleep, wake up, and do it all over again the next day, and the next day. See, they often feel burnt out and congratulate themselves for making it back home in one piece. They wear busyness with a badge of honor, and yet they often don't realize that they've missed several gospel opportunities along the way of fulfilling their busy agenda. That's the unintentional group, but also For other Christians, it is intentional, where they want to miss gospel opportunities. You see, they see opportunities to talk about Jesus. They might even be asked questions pertaining to their faith, but because it's untimely, uncomfortable, or they feel unequipped or uneducated in the matter, they often avoid the conversation altogether. They will often use situations, both big and small, as excuses to not talk about Jesus with others. But this was not the case with Paul. As we've seen throughout the book of Acts, Paul prioritized every opportunity to make the gospel known. Ridicule, mob violence, death threats, arrests, violent sea voyages, a shipwreck, a poisonous snake bite, and now another house arrest, it couldn't stop Paul from making Christ known. 
Luke explains that after three days of arriving in Rome, Paul, under Roman guard, he initiated an invitation for the Jewish leaders in Rome to meet with him at his rented home. This reminds us of Paul's ministry pattern, that whenever he went to evangelize a new city, what did he do? He would always go to the local synagogues first, the Jewish communities first. When they arrived, Paul explained to them the events that led him to Rome. Why does he do this? He wants to explain to them his innocence in this case. He explains that he, also being a Jew, had done nothing against their Jewish people and their customs. Under false charges, the Jews from Asia delivered him as a prisoner to the Romans. And then he, he then summarizes the events that happened in chapters 22 through 26, and he does it very quickly with a simple statement that when the Romans examined him, they wished to set him free. Paul explained that even in the Roman officials' eyes, from three separate hearings, Paul was innocent and not deserving of the death sentence. But the only reason why Paul was not released was because the Jewish leaders objected. And it was making it somewhat of a political catch-22 for them. These Roman governors didn't want to deal with the politics. So for this reason, Paul was compelled as a Roman citizen to appeal before Caesar, the emperor. He clarified that this was a defensive move. He didn't want them to interpret this as an attack against the Jewish people, of which he is a people of. <laughs> so Paul then explains that he requested to see them so that he could tell them firsthand why he's wearing this chain. It is because he wants them to know the hope of Israel. With this statement, Paul is giving them somewhat of a teaser trailer. He's alluding to the gospel message using familiar Old Testament terminology. How did they react? In response to Paul, the, the, Jew, the Jewish leaders, they act in a surprising way. They explain that they're unaware of any official report about him and have not received any unofficial witnesses speaking against him. It's, it's especially suspicious that these Jewish leaders seem to have no knowledge of the Christians in Rome, despite the fact that the church there was very well established. It's probable that these Jewish leaders simply wanted to play it safe and distance self uh, away from Paul's trial as well as distance of, uh, uh, away from the Christians who caused the Edict of Claudius. And if you were here on Wednesday night, we talked about the Edict of Claudius. And it was where all the Jews were expelled under Claudius' rule. They were expelled because they weren't keeping the peace. So they were kicked out of Rome. And this happened just 10 years before this scene. For this reason, it was possible that their desire to hear Paul's views were simply diplomatic. It was a professional courtesy. But whatever their reason for coming to Paul, it's the text says they came willingly. They came a second time to hear Paul explain more about this Christianity. And Paul made the most of this opportunity. How? By receiving them, by welcoming them, and proclaiming the gospel to them. In verse 23, Paul provides for us two applications that help believers prioritize every opportunity to make Christ known. These are the subpoints. Firstly, believers must carefully explain the gospel 
to all. If you're filling in a blank, this would be the next blank. Carefully explain the gospel to all. Note that this application focuses on how we proclaim the gospel and who we proclaim the gospel to. Luke uses Old Testament expression, uh, uses this Old Testament expression from morning till evening to explain that for this entire day, Paul preached to them about Christ. Paul was not in any rush. He took his time to walk through the scriptures to carefully explain God's plan of salvation in Christ Jesus. One scholar writes that this means that Paul might have discussed the scriptures with them between 10 to 12 hours on that day. I've been to churches where they said, you only have 20 minutes to speak. (laughs) They would have been very upset by Paul. (laughs) But as he was speaking, maybe 10 to 12 hours that day, who was present? Not only were the Jewish leaders of Rome present, but verse 23 records that there were more present with them, saying, in greater numbers. Other people joined them because they wanted to hear more about who this Jesus was and everyone, that everyone was talking about. So verse 16 also implies that a Roman guard would be chained to Paul's wrist during his house arrest. If this is true, historical records indicate that every four hours, the guards would change shifts, which could also indicate as many as six different Roman guards were present to hear Paul's presentations that day. As some pastors and scholars point out, these certainly were the most privileged guards in history. Paul knew he was speaking mainly to Jews on this day, but I'm sure that when he expounded the scriptures, he did so in such a way that helped even the Roman guards on duty who have no Jewish background to understand their need for Christ as well. Secondly, this is the next blank, believers must magnify Jesus by faithful exposition. Magnify Jesus by faithful exposition. I love how one scholar writes, Paul preached the gospel from dawn to dusk and from cover to cover. For the entire day, Paul used scripture to convince them that Jesus is the long-awaited promised king foretold in the law and the prophets. Paul's gospel message was summed up by Luke using the twin concepts, kingdom of God and Jesus. Even though Luke doesn't tell us which passages Paul used, It's implied that Paul would have pointed passages about Christ's virgin birth, his sinless life, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. These are things that Paul would have expounded at the synagogue of the Pisidian Antioch that we saw back in Acts 13. A lot of parallels. When I think about this application, a story comes to mind of a talk that I had uh, with a student leader at a camp. So one, of, one of my responsibilities when I, when I did these camps was to prepare these students to facilitate on their own in small group discussions pertaining to the gospel message. But when one of their students came up to me to ask more questions about Christ, his student leader frustratingly ran up came up to me and he asserted himself saying 
aren't you paid to do this? And as terrible as this sounds, I believe many in the church affirm it, either intentionally or unintentionally. Again, some Christians in the church believe that ministry belongs to the professionals. You know, those who are being paid to teach and minister. Isn't that what our tithers are for? Others live out a Christian life devoid of evangelism and great commission obedience simply because they're too busy with work, too busy with life, too busy with family. Again, so their tithes and their offerings, they go to pay the professionals to do the heavy lifting. And also the talking to strangers, which is very uncomfortable. They can talk to the strangers about their need for Christ. But brothers and sisters in Christ, if you have been saved by the blood of King Jesus, you have been brought into his kingdom for kingdom purposes. As my seminary professor would often say, you have been given, you have been commanded the great commission, not the great suggestion. Beloved, you have a mission. If you're a Christian, you have a mission given through the authority of Jesus Christ himself to, as we often read, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, under the authority of Christ, saying, go, Christians, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold the promise of Christ. Behold, I am with you always. As you go about this commission, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So believers, Christians, prioritize every opportunity to make Christ known. By how? By carefully explaining the gospel to all. We all have a part in this. Explain the gospel to all and magnify Jesus by faithful exposition. My second point this morning is that Paul's example instructs believers to, next blank, prepare for openness and opposition to the gospel. We see this in verses 24 through 28. R. Kent Hughes, uh, one of my favorite pastors, favorite current day theologians, explains that today in Rome, you can see a square of plaster cut from a wall of the barracks in the palace of the Caesars. On it, is scratched a human figure with a donkey's head. The figure is nailed to a cross, and a man is pictured kneeling before it. He writes, This artwork is an obvious insult to a Roman soldier who converted to Christianity, for the picture bears the inscription, Anexamenos worships his God. Take notice the opposition, but dwell on the openness to the gospel. Some of, some of Rome's imperial elite came to know Christ, and that's not all. They led some of their privileged friends to Christ. In Paul's letter to the Philippian Christians, believed to have been written here while he was under house arrest in Rome, he wrote, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. What a great encouragement for those who become weary when ministering to others in less than ideal situations, there is still an openness amongst the opposition. 
when we engage our communities in the countries of the world, we should expect that some will be open to the gospel and that others will oppose it. This is the truth that should not catch us off guard as we continue the mission together. One of the major themes that we see in Acts is gospel acceptance and gospel avoidance. There's no gray area. One pastor put it this way, it is impossible to hear the word of God and remain neutral. It is impossible to hear the word of God and be unchanged. When you hear the word of God, you are moved either toward sanctification, which is growing in Christ-likeness, or toward hardness of heart. And the latter is seen here in verse 24. After Paul spends an entire day from dawn to dusk showing these Jewish leaders the scriptures that point to Jesus and the kingdom, telling them about Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, and their need for him as a savior, as their savior, the text says some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. As one scholar notes, this has been the tragic story of the Jews in every community in which Paul had preached. Some believe and others oppose Paul violently. Notice here, Paul distances himself away from them. In verse 17, he began with identifying with them as brothers. He used language like our people, our fathers in verse 17. But now, in verse 25, Paul spoke of your fathers. Why is he doing that? In this verse, Paul is not denying that he is a Jew, rather, as a follower of Christ. He is telling them that they are wrong for rejecting the gospel, like their forefathers rejected God's Holy Spirit's rebuke in the past. Because the Jewish leaders weren't able to agree with one another, they left. They left after Paul had made this final statement. And out of great love for them, Paul reminded them of the warning the Holy Spirit gave to Isaiah, recorded in in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. By highlighting Israel's hearing, their seeing, and their heart, he was reminding them of their forefathers' hardened hearts, and also their bleak and sinful history of turning away from God's instruction. Paul was telling them that if they would only hear the gospel, see their sin, understand in their hearts their need for Christ, and they turn to Him, they would be healed, they would be saved by God. But because of their rejection of the gospel, Paul turns for a third time to the Gentiles. We see this in Acts 13, 18, 28. But not all, but not all would reject the gospel. For this reason, Paul provides us another application that believers prepare for openness and opposition to the gospel. The application for this second point is trust, trust wholeheartedly in the power of the gospel. In our family, maybe like some of yours, in our family, we have been praying for the salvation of our kids since before they were born. We have a baby on the way. We're we're praying for her salvation as well. And I know we have many here today who have been burdened with lost family members, lost friends, and lost coworkers. For some, again, it's an unbelieving spouse. 
For many others, they are praying for salvation for their adult children. One commented, when I was talking to them, one commented, it would take a miracle for them to believe. They're not wrong. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians in Rome nearly four years before this moment, Paul reminds them that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. As, as, as I've said many times before, Christian, we do not peddle a weak gospel. When I was youth pastoring uh, a, a number of years ago, uh, there was a number of times I would have conversations with parents most of them agitated, um, but conversations with parents about our youth ministry and what it lacked and what it needed more of. You know, so, some of these parents, I love so much, uh, some of these well-meaning parents of our youth would say, John, we need more events for our kids. <laughs> we need more overnighters. That's what we had. It worked. <laughs> we need more students. I need more friends for my kids. <laughs> we need more mission trips. We need better music. We need more music. We need deeper friendships. And the list would go on and on and on and on. You see, I love these parents because many of these parents so desired that their kids would come to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they felt as though the gospel message was not enough. There are a lot of churches like that even on island today, that the gospel's not enough, so we need this. So they would look towards, these parents would look towards other popular models of youth ministry with churches that seem to get it right. They have the numbers. But this is not preparing for openness and opposition to the gospel. This is a classic bait-and-switch presentation of the gospel. Their hope was to win their kid over to the gospel with something more exciting than learning about Jesus and his word. And then when they age out of the youth group, they would cross their fingers and they would hope that when the pizza parties, when the ministry events were gone, that somehow their kid would still desire to be a Christian in college. Christian parents, This is not how we lead our kids to know Christ. As Spurgeon once said, I do believe we slander Christ when we think we are to draw people by something else but the preaching of Christ crucified. Christian, we must prepare for openness and opposition to the gospel by trusting wholeheartedly in the power of the gospel. My final point this morning is that Paul's example instructs believers, this is the next blank, to proclaim to all the gospel story of the king and his kingdom. Again, to proclaim something every Christian needs to do, to proclaim to all the gospel story of the king and his kingdom. We see this in verses 30 and 31. Luke tells us that Paul continued to live in his rented home for two years. What did he do as he awaited his trial before Caesar, this long delay? Once again, we see that Paul couldn't help but tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. 
See, these are the two pillars that Paul continued to preach. Paul welcomed all who came to him and taught them boldly, and I love this, without hindrance. The boundless gospel. He taught them about who Jesus is and what he has done for all who believe. And I want to, I want to draw your attention to how Luke ends this narrative in Acts Paul is still in chains. Paul is still a prisoner under Roman guard. Nothing is said of when he arrived at his hearing before Caesar, and we're not explicitly told if he was released or if Paul was sentenced to death. Why? This is the worst story ever. (laughs) I want my money back. We don't know anything about the main character. We must remember that this story is not about Paul. (laughs) That came from Paul. (laughs) I love that we have a Paul in our church. But, okay, but this story is not about the Apostle Paul. This is, Paul here is not the focus of the Acts narrative. This isn't a biography of the Apostle Paul. It would be helpful to remember to go back all the way to January of 2021 and remember what is Acts. First of all, Luke wrote a part one and part two. Part one is the gospel according to Luke. It's a detailed record of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And here in Acts, we see part two, the book of Acts. It's a detailed record of what Jesus continued to do through his Holy Spirit, through his church, through the apostles. This was all by God's work through his spirit. The way that Luke ends this narrative reminds us that Paul is not the hero of this story. Who is the hero? It is Christ. Luke doesn't tell us the outcome of Paul's trial. Luke doesn't tell us how long Paul lived or if he ever got a chance to minister to Spain like he wanted to. So what does Luke tell us? He masterfully concludes Acts, focusing on the king and his kingdom and how it's spreading to the ends of the earth. Rome is considered the end of the earth. Paul models how Christians are able to proclaim all, proclaim to all the gospel story of the king and his kingdom. Luke tells us that Paul continued to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. And not only did Paul proclaimed the gospel to others who visit him, but he also cared for believers in the churches that he had previously ministered to. Many scholars believe that through the Holy Spirit, while a prisoner here in Rome, Paul wrote letters known as Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, Colossians, some possibly believe even 2 Timothy. Luke ends this narrative with an unmistakable focus on the true hero of Acts, King Jesus, who is available to all. I don't run like Matt and Eric do, and some of you others. I'm not a cardio man, (laughs) but like a runner, finishing up the first leg of a relay race, Paul is passing the baton to those after him to continue what was started through God's plan of redemption. As one pastor put it, this book is finished, but the mission Jesus assigned to the church isn't. The race is not finished, the mission is not yet complete, and we get to join. We get to join in the unfolding drama. 
to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I love how another pastor put it. We proclaim the king and his kingdom, and we do this until we come face to face with the king himself. Christian, this must be intentional. No one ever accidentally became obedient to their Great Commission calling. Christians don't accidentally tell others about Jesus. Neither do they accidentally make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. This must be an intentional joining in and an active participation in the unfolding drama to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. As I conclude this morning, let me address the, the unbeliever, the person who's not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, again, we're glad that you're here. My hope for you this morning is that you will not just understand why Christians talk a lot about Jesus, but that you yourself will follow Jesus and know him as your personal Lord and Savior today. For some of you, Maybe you're like the hesitant Jewish leaders who have heard the good news about Jesus but have not yet turned to Christ. You have not yet turned away from your sin. Maybe for some, you are the ones who would ridicule Christians for their foolishness. You, you would taunt them for, a, for following a crucified Palestinian man who apparently died for their sins and raised from the dead. Friend, hatred of the gospel is nothing new. As Paul reminded these Jewish leaders, I, I wish to once again offer an invitation to you that if you would only turn to Jesus Christ, he will have you. If you're not a Christian this morning, surrender to Christ. If you have questions, I would love to talk to you more about it. And we have a bunch of people here that would love to talk to you about it. Don't leave with your questions unanswered. Trust wholeheartedly in the power of the gospel, and you too can join in the unfolding drama to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Christian, again, I turn to you. Now that you have had a chance to again witness Paul's great example of sharing the gospel, this is the time. If you haven't started doing this yet, I want, to I want to ask you to continue to examine your gospel sharing practices. How are you prioritizing every opportunity to make Christ known? In what ways are you taking great care to explain the gospel to all? Are you being prepared to share the gospel? How are you actively engaged in your discipleship? You know, it, it is such a blessing that we have close to one-third of our church involved in some sort of study here. Uh, whether it's our Monday night discipleship class where we start from the beginning and trudge our way forward, <laughs> or even our pre-sermon Bible studies on Wednesday nights, it's awesome that we have a third of our church participating in person and online, but I'm going to take a brief moment to talk to the other two-thirds of you. And this is going to be another tough love moment. 
And because I love you, I want to remind you, we don't require everyone to come to our studies. There's nothing fanciful, elaborate about how we study the Bible here, but we do aim to be faithful. If you're a Christian, if you've been saved by the blood of Christ, you have a mission. And if you're not being discipled in such a way that you are being challenged, and I mean challenged, not just open windows and daily bread challenged, but challenged to grow in your spiritual life, growing in your understanding of how to confront your sin and how to continually repent, learning how to feed yourself and stay nourished in the Word of God and developing in your urgency to share the gospel. How are you going to be prepared to explain the gospel to someone? You just be adding to the hypocrites that non-Christians hate about the church. Tough love moment. Two-thirds of the church that aren't participating in some meaningful way in discipleship here at our church. I want to challenge you. It's never too late for discipleship. If there's still breath, there is still hope for your spiritual growth. I would love for you to join us. I would love so much to see you guys involved in what we're doing here more than just on Sunday mornings. I pray that our connections as brothers and sisters in Christ had more depth than just the same frequented questions, uh, questions after service. How is work this week and how's your kids? I would love our, our, our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ to mean more than that. I would love to move past this veneer of superficial Christianity and be a faithful gospel bearer alongside you. I would rather our church be like a hospital during a war where soldiers are bandaging each other's wounds before we get back into the war zone for the mission of making Christ known. But today in our churches, it's as if we see soldiers strolling into the hospital without any evidence that they've actually been on the battlefield. For some, they have completely forgotten that the war even exists, that the mission is still at hand, and their role in it is meaningful. Christian, is that you this morning? Have you grown cold to your great commission obedience? Is there no longer an urgency to share the gospel with lost children, young or old? or a lost urgency to share the gospel with your spouse or even your lost neighbors. This morning, Christian, make it your habit to prioritize every opportunity, every opportunity to make Christ known. Through every difficult circumstance, find ways to engage in conversations that lead to the gospel. Carefully explain the gospel to all and learn how to magnify Jesus by faithful exposition. Prepare for openness and opposition to the gospel. Don't be blindsided to opposition in your gospel ministry, but remain hopeful that God will produce fruit. 
We do this by trusting wholeheartedly in the power of the gospel. And finally, Christian, proclaim to all the gospel story of the king and his kingdom. Like Paul, live a life that can't help but share the gospel. We do this according to his spirit's work in us until we see him again face to face. Join. Join in the unfolding drama to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is what it means to be a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is how we continue the mission together, and this is what it means to become his church.